be here. And I, uh, I was a little bit concerned when Dave said, uh, tonight's my last message. I think he meant at the conference. I, I, do, <laughs> I do plan to keep on preaching, Lord willing, unless Dave knows something I don't. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, uh, I mean, I guess the rapture could happen after tonight, right? And then you'd have to take the mantle of not by works. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but anyway, I'm, I wasn't quite sure what you, uh, what you meant. It has been so great. Uh, to be here and uh, really looking forward to this message. Every time I talk about heaven, it's just so encouraging to me. I think everybody ought to be required to read Revelation 21 at least once a month, you know, just especially in these, in these crazy times. Uh, it really has been, uh, uh, you know, it really is encouraging. And I don't know if it was just thinking about this message uh, from heaven, about heaven or what, but or just being on the road for three weeks, but I had a strange dream last night, Gary, and um, wh- what are you laughing? You think <laughs> so I had a strange dream last night about heaven, and in this dream, uh, I was kind of given a picture of people as they were entering heaven, and it was kind of similar to like Jacob's ladder. People would would start out at the bottom of the ladder, and they would climb up, and there they would enter the gates of of heaven. But I noticed at the bottom of the ladder, there was a big bucket of chalk. Now, for you young people, chalk is what we used to use in school to write on the blackboard, and the blackboard is what we used to have before whiteboards. But anyway, so there's this bucket of chalk, and I noticed as each person (coughs) uh, who died and was climbing the ladder into heaven started their ascent, they would grab a piece of chalk, and I noticed they were writing something on each rung of the ladder. And I was really puzzled by this, so I asked uh, Peter, I said, what's this about? Peter said, oh, well, you see, as each person uh, climbs the ladder into heaven, they are uh, instructed to take a piece of chalk and write, uh, you know, write out some of the more common sins that they committed that Jesus paid for at the cross as they go up into heaven. I thought, well, that's interesting. I have never read that in the Bible. But anyway, um, so I, knowing kind of how it worked, I started watching, and maybe it's because I'm here at Grace Bible, I wanted to kind of get an accounting of, uh, of, of your elders. And so I was delighted in the dream to see Matt step up to the ladder, and, uh, and he uh, saw that was a good sign that he's headed the right direction. But, uh, but anyway... Uh, he grabbed a piece of chalk and and up he went and and uh, then uh, next I saw Dave and there was Dave grabbing the proverbial piece of chalk and and following the custom that was uh, explained to me in this dream and then came Gary and uh, Gary too grabbed a piece of chalk and up he went so I was just about to leave and uh, in my dream and all of a sudden Gary comes back down the ladder and I thought oh my, my, what, don't tell me they turned him away. You know, what, what could this possibly be? And so I said, Gary, what's going on? He said, oh, I ran out of chalk, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> heaven, heaven. <laughs> Matt said, amen. Uh, <clears throat> so um, we've been talking about the gospel, the gospel unplugged, which of course we've been talking about grace and uh, and how we can only be saved by grace through faith. Faith is the means of receiving eternal life. In the first session today, we talked about grace in the Christian life, but now I want to talk about and connect grace to our ultimate glorification, that moment when we do uh, see uh, the Lord. And 
If you go to the very last two verses in the Bible, this is not going to be our primary text, but I'm just kind of setting the stage. Uh, we'll be in Revelation 21, so you should be able to kind of uh, see both here uh, right next to each other. But has it ever occurred to you that the last two verses in the Bible deal with two critical subjects of the end times and grace, which are my two favorite subjects theologically. It's the reason that if you look over our materials from 30 some odd years of ministry, you'll see a lot of books and DVDs about the end times and a lot of books and DVDs about the gospel and grace and so forth. But notice what it says, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. So there's the reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Amen, even so come Lord Jesus. But then it ends with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace in the end times. See, ultimately, when Christ comes back and makes all things new, that's the culmination of God's grace, the final resting place, if you will. Uh, Paul put it this way, uh, that in the ages to come he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace. Now he's talking there about the ultimate church age, but as the greatest picture of God's grace. Uh, but ultimately, the church age is the last days, the Bible says, prior to the coming kingdom. Second Thess 2 says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Grace face to face. The great thing about grace is that it doesn't end at conversion. Amen. Uh, we talked about that in the Bible study hour this morning with 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Um, His grace is sufficient for us. Uh, but grace doesn't even end at death. Grace continues on throughout eternity as we spend eternity, when time shall be no more, with the one who saved us. And we get to spend time with him face to face. So I want to read, if you will, uh, if you'll turn there with me, Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 through 5 to set the stage as we kind of talk about what it will be like when we see Christ face to face. And I saw heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That is such a rich statement there at the end of verse 3. I wish we had time to go back and look at all the Old Testament significance of that, but it speaks of the ultimate intimacy that we have with God, which to a, a, Jew, a Jew would have been almost unthinkable because God was so un, unreachable and un, untouchable, and you had to go through human means and sacrificial system and so forth, but one day we will see him face to face. And then notice verses 4 and 5. And God shall wipe away all tears... From their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. 
Remember in chapter 19, when Christ comes back riding on a white horse and we're coming back with him uh, to help rule and lead in the kingdom age, uh, he's called faithful and true. And uh, so I want to just answer this question as we spend the next few minutes thinking about heaven and what it will be like when we experience grace face to face. What will we be doing in heaven? You know, Hollywood, as well as a lot of bad man-made religions, have created a, a false notion of what heaven is like. The average person who doesn't know the Word of God, uh, but also including some believers, sadly, kind of thinks of heaven as just sort of floating around on clouds or maybe with wings. They kind of picture us as somehow being like angels. People don't understand that heaven actually is just part of the ultimate dwelling place for the redeemed. We, we talk about go to heaven when you die as sort of a metonym for the ultimate dwelling place, but the ultimate dwelling place, according to God's word, is the new heaven and the new earth. When God makes all things new, and he doesn't just renovate this old sin-stricken earth, but he destroys it and recreates it in sinless perfection. And thus the Bible and human history comes full circle from a pre-fall Edenic state to a once again perfect creation. And, uh, you know, the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, so we want to look at what the Bible says heaven will be like. And I think this is just encouraging because, uh, for one thing, we never know, as James says, what tomorrow holds, <laughs> and uh, life is just a fleeting breath. Uh, but also, at any moment, the trumpet might sound, and we might meet the Lord in the air, which would be okay with me, you know. Uh, and so it'd be nice to kind of be reminded of the ultimate goal. So what will we be doing in heaven? Well, first of all, we'll be beholding Christ. <laughs> I mean, it will be a dream come true to be able to look upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took our sins upon himself, paid our penalty, rescued us from uh, sin, and gave us the free gift of eternal life. You know, think about it. No matter how real he is to us now, as we read about him in the living written word, which reveals the living incarnate word, no matter how much we study about him, no matter how much we learn about him in scripture, no, much, no matter how much faith we have here and now, nothing can compare to sitting down with him face to face and talking to him seeing him for the first time, beholding the look in his eyes, a knowing look, by the way. That's what's going to be so precious, is that when we see Jesus and look him in the eye, it's going to be a knowing look. He knows me by name. And it's a love that we can not even fathom, as Paul said, uh, on earth. No matter, I mean, think about the person you love the most. It, it pales in comparison to the ultimate love of our Savior who died for me. And I think instantly when we see him face to face, we're going to sense that love. Uh, on the authority of God's word, we know that we will see him, uh, that when we see him, we shall see him as he is, 1 John chapter 3. And if the Lord does not come back in our lifetime uh, to take us to heaven uh, at the rapture, then we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that we can look forward to about heaven, and, and I find myself, I don't know about you, but I find myself often thinking about seeing my loved ones who've gone you know, before me. And to be sure, we want to behold our loved ones and our friends 
after arriving in our eternal home. But the one that we desire to see at once is the one who enabled us to see the light, to be saved, to experience this moment in heaven to begin with, and that is Jesus Christ. You know, D.L. Moody famously said, when I get to heaven, I want to sit and look at Jesus for a thousand years. And then I'm going to say, okay, now where's Paul? <laughs> and I think he's got his priorities right. Um, when we get to heaven, we will say with Asaph, the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. When we get to heaven, we will gaze upon him with unprecedented emotions that thrill every sensibility of our being. It will, it will stir the deepest feelings of our soul that we didn't even know we had. For the first time, our eyes will actually look upon the one who is the author and finisher of our faith, like we talked about this morning. We will have the ability to express ourselves and show him sincere appreciation for the priceless gift that he has given us. We'll be able to love him and give him our hearts full surrender and adoration, something that we strive as believers to do every day as we abide this earth, but never really achieve the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate surrender, the ultimate adoration like we will in that moment. It is Christ that we will behold, the one who is the fairest of 10,000 and altogether lovely. So what will we be doing in heaven? We will be beholding Christ, but we'll also be fellowshipping with one another. Heaven will be an absolutely wonderful place for visiting friends. I mean, think about it. This life is filled with interpersonal struggles because of sin, right? Um, even the people you love the most, that you're closest to, you sometimes uh, find that there's tension, right? Even your spouse. I mean, I know this will come as a shock to you, but, you know, sometimes there's tension in the marriage. I mean, maybe not Gary, maybe not your marriage, but, I mean, most people absolutely struggle. Why? Because we have a fallen nature. And sometimes we get in the flesh, right? Uh, I can remember when I was in college, um, uh, when I really still didn't fully understand all God's Word teaches about the flesh and the spirit and that struggle, but I knew enough to be dangerous. Um, but I had an argument with an older Christian couple, uh, and I, they were not old. I mean, they were older than me. I was like 20, and they were like 28, but... Um, <laughs> To me, that was old. Uh, it seems awful young right now. But, uh, but anyway, uh, it, it got kind of heated. And at one point, this, uh, the lady, who was a mature believer, looked at me and said, uh, well, I think we're just going to step away for a moment because, you know, one of us is obviously in the flesh. And, you know, me, not being a mature believer, I said, well, if you're not in the flesh and you need to take a moment to get in the spirit, go right ahead. But uh, she wasn't talking about me. Uh, I, you know, she wasn't talking about her, she was talking about me. But in heaven, we won't have that hindrance. We won't have that tension. It'll be perfect. We will talk and laugh and share in ways that we were never able to do on earth because of the curse of sin. David said, 
Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren, brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, unity certainly is the goal of the church, and it's a sweet time when you experience moments of real complete unity in a church, but it pales in comparison to the unity that we will find in heaven. Jesus talked about this. I, I referenced this, I think it was Friday night in Matthew uh, 8, when he said that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven at the banqueting table, at that, at that marriage supper of the Lamb, the kickoff party to the kingdom. And what a unified time that will be. You know, when the kingdom starts, I'm sure you've thought about this, but there will not be any unbelievers on earth. So, and the new covenant will be fully in force. People, believers won't sin. Christ will be on the throne. It'll be a time of unprecedented peace and justice and equity. And that's just going to be um, a picture of unity around the table, unlike anything we've ever seen. I mean, compare that to the typical average Thanksgiving dinner, which, you know, you end up getting together with family that you only get to see once a year because you have to. And if you didn't have to, you probably wouldn't. And then you end up just trying to make small talk and don't mention this and don't talk about that. And, you know, it's just tension. And finally, the Cowboy game starts and you can really enjoy the day. You know? uh, but it won't be like that. Uh, Jesus reminded us there will be many rooms in heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. This, of course, is what he said to the disciples in that intimate moment in the upper room, just hours before he was betrayed and arrested and tried and crucified. The word mansions here literally means rooms or dwelling places or abodes. So we'll go from room to room, mansion to mansion, engaging in conversations about matters of common interest to us all. There won't be any political issues that are untouchable or we can't talk about that or there won't be a right-left paradigm. It'll be unity. And we'll be fellowshipping with one another. As we talk together, it'll be real, genuine, true, and honest speech, free from selfishness. Every word will be profitable since there won't be any gossip in heaven. I mean, think about it. If you want to find out something more about the Garden of Eden than what is revealed in Scripture, you can go and visit our great, 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 and so on grandparents. And if by chance on arriving at their palace, you find thousands of people waiting at the gate to do the same thing as you, it'll seem like just a slight tiny delay without becoming impatient because time will be no factor in heaven when time shall be no more. And perhaps while you're waiting, you'll have the opportunity to meet several others that you didn't know before that moment. And maybe one of those was instrumental in leading you to Christ upon the earth, but you didn't have any idea. And if you and your family or you and a friend you know, want to learn more about Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea, you can plan a trip to his place or you can discuss it with him in person. And maybe you're on your way to his house and you decide on the spur of the moment, and it's all the spur of the moment in heaven, uh, you can decide to take a side trip over to Joshua's home. And you stop in. Hey, Josh, we're on our way to Moses' pad, and we thought we'd stop in and say hello. What can you tell us? What will we be doing in heaven? We'll be fellowshipping with one another. But we'll also be experiencing joy. Heaven is a place of true joy. 
You know, Jesus often talked about joy in heaven. I think of Luke 15, uh, the, the, the three parables there, the parable of the lost uh, coin and sheep and uh, son. And remember what he kept saying, uh, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, right? Um, joy, it's the Greek word kara. Uh, we would transliterate that K-A-R-A. So if you if you happen to be named Kara, or if you know someone named Kara, uh, you know, they are probably a pretty joyful person. If not, they need to change their name. <laughs> uh, uh, joy, if you, uh, this is a side note, but in Luke, you know, joy is a common theme connected to salvation. And remember, at the announcement of Christ's birth to the shepherds, uh, there, uh, uh, it shall be good tidings of great joy. Remember that? And you see that running theme. But the joy, no amount of joy that we can experience here can compare to the fullness of joy in heaven. Again, going back to David, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Just imagine what the fullness of joy will be like. I want you to think for just a moment about the most joyful experience you have ever had. Think about the happiest you have ever been. Maybe you can't narrow it down to one or two, but think about a, a, a very happy moment. And now multiply that by millions of millions. <laughs> and even then, you'll still not be even close to the level of joy that we'll have in heaven. And hand in hand with this new level of joy will be the absence of sorrow, as we read a moment ago. God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain. Uh, new things are joyous things. Old things often bring pain and bad memories. You ever wish you could somehow strip away from your memory some of the bad memories, the painful memories, the regrets? You know, often when your mind is idle, it drifts back to those negative things. And a lot of life is about you know, me meditating and thinking on the word, filling your heart with these things, you know, whatever's good and, and pure and so forth, think on these things. Um, but in heaven, we won't have to worry about that. We won't have to make the conscious effort to not think about painful memories because there won't be any. He makes all things new. What else will we be doing in heaven? Well, we'll be singing. We'll be singing. Uh, in Revelation, we read, they sung a new song. So if you're like me and you like all the old hymns, well, you better get ready because we're going to be some new songs in heaven. And, uh, and that'll be great. This is in the context here in Revelation 5 of the 24 elders, the church in heaven. Uh, Isaiah put it this way, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing, unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. You know, heavy hearts don't like to sing. In fact, Proverbs says something about that. Um, but joyous hearts sing out loudly, right? So they'll be singing in heaven. What else will we be doing? Well, we'll be exploring the universe. We'll be exploring the universe. You know, now we're really, it's impossible to comprehend the magnitude and beauty of the universe because we're limited in our mental capacity to understand it all. 
and we're restricted in our ability to travel through all the vast galaxies. We're not able to visit and see what, what God has created in the vast expanse of the universe. But to travel around heaven, we won't need any cars or trucks or planes or trains or uh, TSA or masks or anything else like that. Uh, we'll be able to move at a tremendous rate of speed in outside the realm of time, space, and matter. The disciples, as you recall, watched Christ in Acts chapter 1 ascend into heaven. And as they stood on the Mount of Olives, the Lord was taken up in a brief moment, disappearing completely out of their sight. This kind of traveling will be a great asset in heaven as we seek to visit each other and the millions, perhaps billions of believers that are there with us. We can explore all the marvels of creation. You know, if you were fond of travel and exploration on earth, if you like to travel and see and sightsee, well then and you're gonna be thrilled. You're gonna be in heaven in heaven, right? <laughs> you're gonna be thrilled. In heaven, every legitimate ambition will find its fullest opportunity for development. So we'll be exploring. And this is one of my favorites. We'll also be expanding our knowledge. We'll be expanding our knowledge. In heaven, Matt, Gary, and Dave, we're gonna we're gonna find all the answers, right? I mean, about everything you can think of. I mean, we'll know who wrote Hebrews, right? And you know, I'm happy to wait till then for you to say you were right, you know. <laughs> Theological questions, like how can God be sovereign and man have free will? Simple in heaven. How can God be three yet one in Christ, the hypostatic union? Why has God waited so long to judge Satan and his demons? That's a question that I think about often. But not just theological questions, and we all have our lists, but philosophical questions as well. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I think about. Uh, and in heaven, we'll be able to expand our knowledge about things like retro-causality or time loops or quantum theory. All that's going to be child's play. We'll be able to solve ancient riddles like Newcomb's paradox or the grandfather paradox or the Fletcher's paradox with ease. The Monty Hall problem will no longer be puzzling. Uh, we'll, we'll recognize why that works. You're going to have to look some of these up. Remote viewing, no longer necessary because we'll have access to all knowledge. What about paranormal questions? I talk about this and I think it's number 11 or maybe number 8 of the top of the uh, Spirit of the Antichrist series. But uh, what are we to make of you know skinwalkers and UAPs and shapeshifters and black-eyed kids and the Patterson-Gimlin film and the Nephilim and all of those kinds of things? How, what is all that about? Well, we'll know. We'll know in heaven. I mean, don't even get me started on conspiracy questions. <laughs> I mean, who really killed JFK? <laughs> or the Phoenix Lights, or the Montauk Monster, or Area 51, or Project Blue Book, or Skull and Bones, or Bohemian Grove, or geoengineering, or chemtrailing, or chemical ice nucleation, or Operation Popeye, or 9-11, or COINTELPRO. You know, is there really gold in Fort Knox? I mean, we'll know it all. We'll know it all. I have a friend who uh, it was, was the same age as me, died at age 51, six kids just like we have. And a dear friend who was very like-minded on a lot of this stuff that I've studied and taught about for years. And I'm jealous 
because he knows all these answers now, right? And uh, so we'll be expanding our knowledge. What else will we be doing? Well, this is interesting. We'll be basking in the light. Basking in the light. To bask means to bathe in warmth, to be exposed to a pleasant light and heat. Now, you know, being having spent, you know, f five years in Colorado, four of them up in the mountains, where one winter, well, typically where we lived, you'd get 300 to 350 inches of snow a year. One winter, we had 500 inches. It was the worst winter in 20, worst snow in 20 years. Uh, when you're cold, it's, it, I mean, I don't know about you, and of course I'm speaking to a group in California, but uh, I would personally would rather be hot than cold. I mean, when you're just bitter cold, I can think of as a child hunting and being out in the deer stand and just being so cold, you know, I would just, there were times when I just couldn't take, I would literally just shoot a tree so the guide would hear the gunshot to come pick me up and I'd say, nope, missed him, sorry, let's go back to the lodge, you know. But in heaven, we'll never have that feeling. We'll be basking in the light. Basking, if you think of basking, just you know, picture a cat in a windowsill with the sun. That's where cats like to, to lay in the sun, to bask in the sun. Now, I know that's not the best analogy because, of course, we know there will be no cats in heaven. Uh, thank goodness. Um, I'm just kidding. I love cats. They taste like chicken. But... Um, <laughs> But the Bible promises us that in heaven there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. You know, it's like when you, when you come home at night, you know, I always try to tell my kids or family, you know, make sure once it gets dark, turn the porch light on if I'm gone. Or if, I, if someone else is gone, I turn it on. One of the kids is working late or something, because I wanna, you want to be able to see when you walk up the sidewalk or... And you get up at night and you're walking through uh, the living room. We've kind of, with a grandbaby living with us now, we, we kind of have reverted back to the old days with little toys and things lying all over the place, which can be very painful. I mean, you step on a Lego and you weren't expecting it, it's, uh, it's you know, it's going to test your sanctification. In that <laughs> but we won't ever have to come home to a dark porch or walk through a dark room in heaven. We will be basking in the light. Well, there's a lot more that we could talk about, but that's just a glimpse of what heaven will be like when grace brings us face to face with our Savior. Now, until then, let's come back to reality. Here we are living in this world and this life here and now, and we need to hold on tight. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's a rocky ride. But God has given us what we need in his word. He's given us the answers. He's given us the blueprint. You know, whatever analogy you want to use, the roadmap, we know. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so we can avoid the pitfalls and the difficulties and the heartaches or deal with them when they come appropriately because of uh, the inner working between the indwelling Holy Spirit and the word of God. And that's why we need to stay in the word. But heaven and our ultimate home in heaven does provide a measure of hope, doesn't it? it it's, a, it's a reminder of what Paul said in, in Colossians, that we should set our affection on things above, not on things on earth. Because that's where our home really is, right? We're just strangers 
sojourners passing through. Uh, we have a job to do. You know, we can't uh, be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, right? We've got to recognize that God has us here for a reason and a purpose, and we need to be diligent uh, to run the race until the Lord calls us home. But boy, it's nice to remember where our home really is. I don't usually end messages with a poem, but I came across this one and I thought it was a perfect reflection of what we've been talking about in this, in this message, Grace Face to Face. And I think it was anonymous, or at least I couldn't find the author, but listen to, these, to this poem. No night shall be in heaven, no gathering gloom, shall over that glorious landscape ever loom. No tears shall fall in sadness over those flowers that breathe their fragrance through celestial bowers. No night shall be in heaven forbid to sleep. These eyes no more their mournful vigils keep. Their fountains dried, their tears all wiped away. They gaze undazzled on eternal day. No night shall be in heaven, no sorrow reign. No secret anguish, no physical pain, no shivering limbs. No burning fever there, no soul's eclipse, no winter of despair. No night shall be in heaven, but endless noon. No fast declining sun, no waning moon, but there the Lamb shall yield perpetual light, mid pastures green and waters ever bright. No night shall be in heaven, no darkened room, no bed of death, nor silence of the tomb. But breezes ever fresh with love and truth shall brace the frame with an immortal youth. No night shall be in heaven, but night is here, the night of sorrow and the night of fear. I mourn the hills that now my steps attend and shrink from others that may yet impend. But no night shall be in heaven. Oh, had I faith to rest in what the faithful witness said, that faith should make these hideous phantoms flee and leave no night henceforth on earth for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious picture that your word gives us of what lies ahead, of what shall come. And Father, I pray that as we abide this earthly life, that we would indeed set our minds on things above, be reminded every day of uh, the right perspective and ultimately what it's all about. Lord, strengthen uh, those who are heavy hearted, encourage those who need encouragement, uh, Father, and help us. Uh, to be a good testimony and a good witness, not only to one another in the body of Christ, but also to this uh, lost and dying world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.